0: Thank you very much. You guys are so kind. You make me feel so welcome. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for one another. Thank you that each and every person that is here tonight is valuable and precious to you and loved by this church family. And Father, we just thank you for the strength that we draw from one another. We thank you for what we draw from our fellowship and, and just from the love of God expressed uh, toward us and flowing through us and father we thank you that you're doing a great work in your people and thank you for for just accentuating that work tonight. Thank you for accelerating that work tonight Lord we recognize you've been working in this church for decades you've been working in the lives of your people and father it's such a privilege and honor for me to come and and cheer that work on and encourage that work and celebrate it recognize it and appreciate you. Father for all you're doing in each and every life in Jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. you can go ahead and be seated Uh, Pastor Nancy mentioned about um, the use of the book uh, Your place on God's dream team Uh, That is our sixth book and it's just been out a few months came out in June I guess that's more than a couple months, but uh, you know how time flies and uh, we just have a couple left on the table But I believe there's some in the bookstore Uh, there's five in the bookstore. I think there's two on the table. So, um, you know, we're not trying to create, you know, any sense of panic. Um, can always order them. If you order anything from our material, if we ran out of it, we'll ship it for free. We won't even charge shipping. Uh, Because it's kind of not your fault that we ran out. Well, it is because you didn't get to the table (laughs) quick enough. But um, no, we're happy to ship that free of charge and absorb that uh, and help you get that. I know our daughter's album, Seven Song, that I told you about this morning, it's totally gone at our table. Um, But you can actually download that from her website. Now, she has her own nonprofit corporation and all that type of thing. It's called Let There Be Hope um... but to get to her website because somebody already had that website let there be hope her website is called Let here be hope so you just have to pretend that the t there is twice but only put it there once let here be hope dot com and you can download her um, a seven song album or other music Uh, or at least that one, and then on iTunes, all of her material is available as well. But we're talking tonight, as we began this morning, about what I call multi-dimensional ministry. Multi-dimensional ministry. And we're simply wanting to help us see, probably in sharper focus, uh, what we've already been aware of, um, did you ever notice there's different styles of food? How, how many of you here like Mexican food? Let me see your hand. How many of you here like Italian food? Um, how many of you here like um, good southern cooking? Um, you know, what about Chinese food? Who likes Chinese? See, you know, different people like different things. It's all. I'm not trying to stir up the flesh here. Just, you know, take this calmly, please. Maintain that. Fruit of the spirit of self-control. But, you know, the thing is, aren't you glad that, that you know, there's different kinds of food that we can enjoy? And, um, and, and I may not like a certain style of food, but somebody else loves that. And so, you know, I, I don't have to think, well, no, the only kind of foods that are legitimate are the kinds I like. You no, know, there's all kinds of diversity and variety. And, and the Bible talks about the manifold grace of God. And so, um, you know, I've, I've been amazed how many times, you know, people have come, for example, to me and said, you know, Tony, we like the way you teach because, you know, you don't yell at us. You're, you're quiet, you're calm and all that. And then somebody else is just bored when I teach because they're, they're wanting somebody with more fire and more, you know, zeal and that type of thing. I have a friend and I'm a pretty laid back guy and I don't get you know this is about as excited as I get when I preach I don't get I tend to stay pretty low-key but I have a friend who's much more low-key than me as a matter of fact if you listen to him I sound dynamic I sound exciting and I'm not all that exciting I'm I'm kinda plain vanilla you know type of thing um but um this this friend of mine he's a real calm gentle fellow And uh, he had somebody in his church that, loving person, very kind person, and and Sunday after Sunday as this person would leave the building, uh, you know, he'd come by and greet the pastor and he'd say, hey, pastor here, I want you to listen to this CD this week and it was always a cd by td jakes <laughs> and so the pastor at first he thought well this is kind this gentleman's given me these cds and you know of course you love td jakes what a dynamic preacher and and um, after several weeks you know he'd been getting actually months he'd been giving him a cd every month and the pastor was starting to feel guilty because he didn't always have time to listen and things like that and finally he just said to that brother brother I that's so kind of you to give me these CDs but I'm feeling guilty because I know these are costing you money and and um you know t- why are you giving me these tapes by cd jakes td jakes cd jakes td jakes <laughs> and uh, he said well pastor he said um, hope this doesn't make you feel bad but T.D. Jakes is my favorite preacher. And I just thought if I'd give you enough CDs by T.D. Jakes that maybe you'd start preaching like him. And the pastor, he was so secure and so mature about it. He didn't get offended at all. And he just said, oh, brother, he said, that's so kind of you. But he said, look, I'm not T.D. Jakes. He said, God, God only made one T.D. Jakes. And he said, I can't be, I love his preaching, but he said, I, I could never preach like him. That's just, I'm not wired that way. And, uh, so, but he said, brother, since he's your favorite preacher, I've got a whole bag of his CDs that I'm going to bless you with. And, uh, you know, but, but aren't you glad there's, aren't you thankful that there's different styles? Not everybody likes, you know, a a calm, gentle teacher. Some people like a fiery preacher, but not everybody loves a fiery preacher. Some people, you know, there's there's different flavors in, in the body of Christ, and we're so grateful for that and and this morning we just talked about three really simple dimensions of ministry there was the foundation of teaching preaching and healing that jesus did and that we do today and there is the pastoral when jesus had taught preached and healed he he still saw people in need and so he said they were like sheep needing a shepherd and we talked about the value of the pastoral ministry not only the pastoral office but also just the pastoral function that, that different ones can engage in, and then we talked about the need for a multiplication of laborers and so this morning we just looked at it from one angle looked at three different dimensions of ministry i want to open tonight with a quote from pastor rick warren down in southern california he said healthy lasting church growth is multi-dimensional uh, My definition of a growing church has five facets. Every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship, deeper through discipleship, stronger through worship, broader through ministry, and larger through evangelism. Isn't that a great statement? Every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship. Isn't that great? You know, it doesn't matter how great the preacher preaches, if somebody walks in the church and everybody ignores them and is rude to them and acts like they don't even care if they're there, you know, that that doesn't warm up their heart to receive from the ministry of the preaching. Every church needs to grow warmer through fellowship, deeper through discipleship, stronger through worship, broader through ministry, and larger through evangelism. That is multidimensional ministry. Now, I want you to look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. And we're going to see that this idea of, of uh, multidimensional ministry, even though that term is not really used in the Bible, we're just, we're just coining a term to describe a concept that is taught all through the Bible. Um, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body. Now we understand that, don't we? We're one body. This is one congregation. Heart of the Bay is one local representation of, of Jesus' overall church, his universal church. We have many members in one body, just locally speaking but all the members look at this on the screen but all the members do not have what all the members do not have the the same function what's the implication there we don't all have the same function but the implication is we all have a function we just don't have the the same function Not everybody can sing like Pastor Tom can sing. Not everybody knows how to run the sound equipment. Not everybody can, you know, preach like Pastor Mark and Brenda. Um, Not everybody can do all the different things that have to be. We don't all have the same function, but the implication is we all have a function. Now, let me just, I I want to do this, and please understand what I'm doing. I'm, I'm going to help us understand what the Bible is really saying by demonstrating what the Bible is not saying. What if the Bible said, and it doesn't, but what if the Bible said, we have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function now i just quoted from the reversed standard version (laughs) what if the bible says and it doesn't but what if the bible says we have many members in one body but not all the members have a function do you know what i'd have to do tonight if i was going to teach the bible and if, if that was what the bible said here's here would be my message tonight glad you're all here but i just need to let you know that some of you are useless (laughs) some of you God wants to use some of you God has a plan for your life Some of you, God wants to do things through you to bless other people, but I have to tell you, we have many members in one body, but not all the members have a function. There are some of you that are useless. How many of you believe that you are one of those individuals that God has made to be useless? Let me see your hand. You Oh, I think I see those hands. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, You're probably right. Uh, You you are really just dead weight. Um, You are breathing air that could be used by somebody who's productive, somebody who is helpful, somebody who is useful. So let's just do this next week. uh, Those of you that have a function, please come sit toward the front, you know, where you can get the maximum benefit. And you know what? Those of you that don't have a function, well, we'll let you come, you know, just stay in the back, stay out of everybody else's way. Um, You know, I hate to tell you how inferior you are. Uh, how useless you are! Um, you're just you're just taking up space, but we'll tolerate you. All right, okay, we'll tolerate you. Wouldn't that be an ugly message? But see, I don't I don't have to say any of that ugly stuff because it's not true. We have many members in one body, but not all the members have the same function. We all have a function, and it goes on to say in verse five, "This is so beautiful. Aren't you glad you have a purpose?" Aren't you glad God has a reason for you, a purpose for you, a design for your life? The Bible says we were not saved by works, but we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God ordained beforehand that we should walk in them here's my real message to you this is what the Bible really says is that God knew you from before the foundation of the world and long before you were ever born God had already foreordained a plan and a purpose and a destiny for your life and he has so worked you know providentially and sovereignly that that he he put within you the the seed of gifts and, and the uh, talents and the abilities, uh, he's put those inside of you for such a time as this. And God has a purpose and a place and a design for your life. You're valuable and important. And God wants to use you to be a blessing to other people. We have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ. Romans twelve five, and individually. Say this, I'm an individual. I'm individual. But he says, individually we're members of one another. So we don't totally live for ourselves. We live for one another. We our purpose is found in the way that we can be a blessing to other people. We're individually members of one another. Look at verse six having then gifts differing. You know, that's where we find the freedom to be who God made us to be. I don't have to try to preach like somebody else. I remember the very first time my wife was, before we were married, uh, we kind of, I admired the worship leader of our youth group and... And uh, she just played the guitar so beautifully and sang and all that. And and, um, and, and occasionally I'd get a, a, an invitation to go speak somewhere and I would ask her, would you come and, you know, play the guitar and sing before I preach? And she would do that. And And one time she got invited to a coffee house and just, you know, kind of a street front type thing. And. And um, and it wasn't a church, but they had a service, and they had her sing, and, and because I was coming with her, uh, they invited me to give a little testimony and, and give an altar call type of thing. Well, I'd never given an altar call. I didn't know how to invite people to Jesus, but I had watched Billy Graham. And, you know, I guess if you don't know how to do something, it's okay. It's probably a good idea. Find somebody who knows what they're doing and uh, kind of try to do it like they do it. But, um, but I, so I tried to act like Billy Graham. And uh, the one thing I'd seen Billy Graham do is that when he'd give an altar call, then he would stand like this. Oh, in, a, in a meditative, you know, devout Appearance. So I, I give this altar call and then I, oh boy. well, I looked up and nobody came down and, and I thought, well, I'd, I've never seen Billy Graham. What is he? He's never had anybody not come down. So what do you do now? So, you know, so I, but I learned that God didn't call me to be Billy Graham. Now, do I admire Him? Absolutely. Do I respect Him? Are there some things we could all learn from all different people? Yeah, we can learn from all these different people, but be yourself. Be the best you that God called you to be. And just understand this principle, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing uh, according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Say, I have gifts that are different from other people. And my gifts are based on the grace that God has given me. So I'm going to use my gifts according to the grace that God has given me. And I'm not going to be an imitator of somebody else. See, here's the thing. If you try to be Billy Graham or if you try to be somebody else, you'll never be anything but second best. But if you'll be the person that God made you to be, you'll be the best you that you can be. Now, Paul then goes on to say, uh, he says, you know, let us use our gifts according to the grace that God's given us. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry that means serving uh... let us use it in our serving he who teaches in teaching he who exhorts in exhortation he who gives with liberality he who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness so paul just gave us i think that seven seven different i I like this word i want you to say this out loud say expressions he gave seven different expressions now you may notice some of these are really just basic christian responsibilities you don't have to have a special gift to show mercy everybody every christian can show mercy in in terms of basic christian living but you know there's some people that have a special measure of grace in the area of mercy And they will do things that are way above and beyond just what we'd consider being a merciful, kind person. Now this may seem like an extreme example, but for example, Mother Teresa you know, taking in hundreds of homeless dying people and she and the sisters loving them and caring for them and, you know, giving them something to drink. And you say, well, you know, but, but you know, they, went, they, they died anyway. Well, but, but they died in a caring, loving place. They didn't die in the gutter where they had been. And, and they were being shown the love of Jesus. Now, that's mercy on steroids, okay? But we can all do basic mercy. Um, giving, you know, I think giving is a basic Christian responsibility, but there's some people who just, they live to give. They, you know, 10%, they, they, they don't even think about 10%. They're given way, way beyond, you know, the basic Christian responsibility. Uh, they thrive. They have a special you know, measure of grace in certain areas. So the point that we're making is ministry is multidimensional. Some people will be used in certain areas more than others. We don't need to be jealous of what they do. We don't need to be intimidated by what we do. We can celebrate the great grace that is given to them to serve in areas where we may not be graced in that area, but I don't need to feel condemned or inferior because God uses somebody else in a different way. I just need to find out, God, what is the grace you've given me? What is it you've called me to do? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to begin looking in verse 17. It would be great if on your own you can take time and go back and read this whole chapter. And especially the beginning of this prayer. Essentially it's a prayer that Paul began a few verses earlier. But for time's sake we're going to focus on a specific part of Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3. Part of what he prayed, and we 're reading this from the regular King James, Paul said, and this, he said this notice to the whole church. everybody say the whole church. the whole church. This wasn't just to an individual, it was to the whole church, which includes individuals, but it's a corporate statement. And part of his prayer, Ephesians 3:17, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded. In love, Isn't that an awesome statement? Being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend. That means that we absorb it. That means that we grasp it. It, it may be uh, beyond what we can ultimately and absolutely know, but we know it to the best of our ability. That we may be able to comprehend with all saints... What is the the breadth? Everybody say broad. Broad. And what is the length? Everybody say long. Long. And what is the depth? Everybody say deep. Deep. And what is the height? Everybody say height. height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you might be... Filled, everybody say filled, filled with all the fullness of God. Now, we're, what is our title tonight? We're talking about multi dimensional ministry. And Paul has just given us four different dimensional aspects. What is the breadth? How broad is the love of God? How long is the love of God? How deep is the love of God? And how high is the love of God? He wants us, with all the saints, he wants us to, what what did he say? To comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. I got to looking at this a while back and I thought, what what does it mean that the love of God is broad? What does it mean for the love of God to be broad? And I thought of a conversation I had with a friend. He pastors in Kentucky he grew up in West Virginia and we were talking about some of the things relative to our church backgrounds and he said Tony I grew up in a church that was so narrow that you you could hardly get saved there because the way they presented things was if if somebody new would come to the church they they made them feel so unwelcome they almost put them on trial and they'd want to know, what's your background? What have you done? And there was no mercy. And if they found out the person had some, something kind of ugly in their background, they made them feel totally unwelcome. Like, you're not good enough for us. And, I mean, they, they looked down on everybody. And, and if somebody said, well, I, I want to get saved, I, they would say, well, you just keep coming to church here. We'll, we'll watch you for a while and just see, see about it. <laughs> And they would sit there and look for fault with them and find fault with them. And nobody felt welcome there. There there was no sense of acceptance. There was no sense of God loves everybody unconditionally. You know, the great Billy Graham, the song, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, I come, I come. Just as I am, I come. There was none of that. And, and they basically told people, you know, most people aren't good enough to be a part of this church. And that, you know what? This church happened. My friend was raised in this church. He said, they finally got to the point, he said, after he had grown and moved away. He said, they finally got to the point where they had one member left. Oh, my God. You know, I think their theme song was, there's no room at the cross for you. But you know, when I think of something that is broad, I think of something, and I don't mean this in a carnal, ugly way, but I think of something that is comfortable. You know, you feel um, at ease there the love of God, I think of the verse where Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus makes us feel accepted. It's not that we're not told to repent of our sin or whatever. It's just that we know that in him we are loved unconditionally. I was in Singapore a few years ago. And, um, I was at a church and they had theater seats, and they weren't. Have you ever been to some of those new theaters where they got recliners and every? I mean, it's it's unbelievable how some movie theaters are today. But these were the old, old theater seats that had the. They they were really narrow, and, you know, there may have been kind of a cultural thing there. Um, My girth may have been a little bit bigger than the average person from singapore and you know i walked into the service during praise and worship so i was standing the whole time and then before i got up to speak they had everybody sit down uh... you know for announcements and offering and things like that well i didn't even notice i did kind of notice but i noticed this seat is really tight I was kind of wedged in there, but I didn't think much about it. I didn't think much about it until they introduced me. I had had a few too many In-N-Out burgers. I was stuck in the seat. I could not get up. And so they've introduced me. The people are welcoming me and stuff like that. And I'm saying. Sort of, mm, mm. I wanted, I so wanted to be in a broad place. But I, I was in a very narrow place. Now, they had a second service. And in the second service, I had a friend, uh, a missionary friend from Singapore. Uh, he's an American guy, but he came and, and sat beside me. And, and as soon as I sat down, I said, Joe, I said, when they introduce me, put your hand on my back and push as hard as you can push it's not it's not comfortable being in a tight place is it to feel squeezed in and restricted and you know what that's what the devil does the devil oppresses and he makes you feel like you're not good enough and you don't belong and everybody's going to look down at you and and you know so so when we talk about what is the breadth of the love of God when we understand that it means that we're welcome Um, there's a lot of different things that we do in the church that um, make the church a broad church. And I'm not talking about a message of compromise. I'm not talking about telling people you know, well, you you don't have to repent or you don't have to accept Jesus. No, that's our mission. We have to tell people to believe in Jesus. But you know what? Even though our message can be very distinct, And very clear about the good news of the gospel. We can be very welcoming and very accommodating. Did you know that when you have friendly greeters, you're making the church a broad place? Uh, Do you know when somebody says, you know, and and I know people who, um, they just love to use their car to find people that don't have a ride to church and go get them and bring them to church. When you use your car to bring somebody to church that maybe couldn't otherwise get to church, um, you're making the church a broad place. Um, when, when you get up here, Pastor Tom and all the different staff, when you get up here and say, Hey, first-time visitors, we're glad you're here. We welcome you. And, and then you all give them a hand because you love and appreciate them. And you want them to feel welcomed. You know what you're doing? You're making the church a broad place. You know, one thing I found in my preaching is that my preaching, especially because I taught 18 years in a Bible school, and so um, I found that sometimes my preaching was geared toward people who really had a good Bible foundation. And so when my wife and I went out into traveling ministry 12 and a half years ago, my wife would keep telling me, she'd say, Now, Tony, remember, when you're in a church, they're not Bible school students. You treat everybody like they're a Bible school student. You know, you're assuming they know all kinds of things. And and because I, I was used to teaching at a Bible college and to ministers. And so my wife encouraged me not to water down the message, not to compromise the message, but to make sure that I was making it accessible and understandable to people who were coming into the church. Maybe it was their first time to ever visit a church. And if all I'm talking about is the Melchizedekian priesthood and, you know, things like that, they don't have a clue what I'm talking about. And so I started looking at my messages and asking myself, now what in this message uh, could help and, and connect with a person who doesn't know anything about the Bible? And I found out that my messages were really lacking. I was trying to preach deep messages, but they weren't broad messages. They didn't relate to a lot of people. And so I would start doing... Uh, like using illustrations and stories in my sermons to make sure that if a person was there who had no Bible background at all, there was still things there that they could grasp and understand. For example, when I preached on the grace of God, you know, we have a book out there on that topic. But when I, you know, you can go very deep on grace. And if you want to, you can use a lot of theological terms that are over most everybody's head. And um you know but when I teach on grace you know how I open I tell a story about Dennis the Menace. And I tell a story I'll just go ahead and share it with you now that Dennis the Menace and his little buddy Joey were leaving the home of Mrs. Wilson. And they were carrying all these cookies that Mrs. Wilson had given them. And Joey says to Dennis, "Dennis, I wonder what we did to deserve all these cookies. And Dennis says back to Joey, Joey, Mrs. Wilson doesn't bake us cookies because we're nice. She bakes us cookies because she's nice. Now, you don't have to know any Bible to kind of get the understanding that grace, therefore, must be something that's based on the nature of the giver not based on the perfection of the recipient so so I began to make it a point in my preaching to you know in a swimming pool how, how many of you grew up kinda of swimming some a little bit here and there you know when I was a little kid swimming I just thank God there was a baby pool because <laughs> when I was real little that's what I needed And and about the time I got to be about six or seven years old, uh, there was a swimming pool that we went to, and they had a shallow end. And as this little kid, I could be in it up to here, and I could learn to play in that pool um, and feel safe there. And I always thought I'd see people out in the deep end, and I knew that deep end was about 12 feet deep, and I had this fear of the deep end. I would never go close to the deep end. And, and so, but, but around six or seven, my mom and dad put me in swimming lessons. And so they would, they would do things like they would take nickels. And they would put them in the shallow end. And so we had to go under the water and get those. So we had motivation. We had, instead so they're bribing us. We had motivation to go get those nickels and come back up. But see, what we were learning to do was to hold our breath and put our face in the water and I, I still remember this this day uh, they would t- they taught us then how to swim and I got to the point where I could swim across the entire shallow end. and they told us one day those of us that could swim all the way across the shallow end they said now tomorrow we're gonna take you out And we're going to have you swim across the deep end because it's the same distance. I was so scared. I was so nervous. I had this idea that somehow there were like these undercurrents that were going to suck us under the water. Which, I mean, you can get that in rivers and the ocean. It's a swimming pool. And I was so scared. But but see, what they did, I, I started out getting comfortable in the baby pool. And then uh, I went to the shallow end and learned to do the nickels. And then I, I, I did that thing. And when I swam across the deep end, I thought, Wow, I just I just swam across the deep end, and I was so happy and confident. I realized I can be anywhere in the pool. But but they didn't just take me and throw me in the deep end the first day. I got used to the baby pool. I got used to the. Uh shallow end, I got the nickels, and eventually it's one thing to be able to swim across the deep end, but then they really tempted us. They threw quarters down in the deep end. They said, if you want them, go get them. So, you know, we'd swim down and get them and come back up, and we're still alive. We had mastered the deep end. But see, the shallow end. you know, there's some people that if they come into church and you know, Everything is, well, let's be deep, let's be deep, let's be deep. And, and there's no focus on just acceptance. And, you know, when, you, when, you, when somebody new comes into the church and you go over and shake their hand, you find out about them and maybe have a common interest or two. And and so you, and you say, well, let me take you out to, to lunch and things like that. Do you know what you're doing? You're helping them get comfortable in the shallow end. Um, just friendship. Hospitality hospitality is one of the great gifts in the church. You know, Paul talks about it. Peter talks about exercising hospitality. Do you know what we do when we exercise hospitality? We're making the church broad. We're saying there's room here for you. There's acceptance for you. Um, You know, you can come and feel at home. You can come and be loved. Uh, We're making the church broad. Why is that important? Because we need to know the breadth of God's love. Now what about the length of God's love? How many of you were pretty far away from God when His love reached you? How many of you appreciate the verse in Hebrews chapter 7 that says, Therefore He is able, He is also able to save to the uttermost. How many of you were uttermost when you got saved? Uh, The length of the love of God, just like the breadth of the love of God speaks of acceptance and hospitality, uh, the length of the love of God speaks of evangelism and missions. When your church... And I know that uh, when you give to your church, some of that money goes to missions. That's the length of the love of God being expressed. Because that money is going to help people be saved in far and distant lands. When some of you go out to prisons and minister in prisons, that's the length of the love of God. Uh, one, one thing that really touched me um, years ago... And not many, just a few years ago, I was in a church in Tucson, Arizona. The pastor and his wife both come out of alcohol and drug addiction in their own personal lives. And they met, actually, I think, in a rehab hospital where both of them were getting off drugs and or alcohol. And through the course of their journey, uh, they got born again, they got saved and realized that as helpful as all the programs are and things like that that Jesus really has to be the center of their life and so because they've been through recovery and and rehabilitation steps (coughs) excuse me naturally and because they have Jesus and the Word of God in their life they're able to have a lot of compassion for people that are coming out of those backgrounds and as pastors of a church in Tucson uh, when I've been with them, I, it may be 50 to 60 percent of the people in their congregation have come out of those similar backgrounds because they really connect with that. And the pastor introduced me to a guy, and he just took me. The pastor walked me around and was introducing me to different people, and and he introduced me to one guy, and he said, "Hey, Jim, come here. I want you to meet Tony." And he said, uh, "Jim, tell Tony your story. Isn't it good that we have a story to tell?" And Jim said, well, he said, my story is that I had a successful career, uh, a a good marriage, uh, family, house, you know, cars. He said, I was doing really well in life, but I didn't have God in my life. And he said, "Um, I just because I was under pressure in my life, I, I began to find relief in I don't remember if he got off into cocaine or what he got into, but he got severely addicted to drugs. And he said, I lost everything. He said, I lost my home. I lost my marriage. I lost my family. Lost my career. Lost my kid. I lost everything that I had. And he said, I I ended up living under a bridge for four years. And he said, I just thought that was going to be my existence. And he said, some guys came down and talked to me and, and, and showed me kindness and gave me some help. And, uh, you know, they, they met some of my basic needs. But then they invited me to be a part of a program where I could get clean and sober and things like that. And he said, uh, it ended up being a faith-based program. And he said, in that program, I met Jesus and also went through the disciplines of you know getting getting established and getting my mind renewed and things like that he said um, he he said i never thought i'd have another chance at life but he said god god saved me gave me another chance at life and and he said i've been clean for however you know like a year or something like that and he said i've i've had a job for the last six months he said i didn't think i'd ever have a job again <clears throat> and he said i've got my own apartment now he said i i never thought i'd live anywhere but under the bridge and the pastor said, yeah, Jim, we are so thankful that, but tell him what you do now. And he said, tell him what you do when you get paid. And Jim said, well, he said, you know, I had a pretty bad track record of not handling my money very smart. And he said, so what I do when I get paid, he said, the first thing I do is I, I find out what 10% of it is. And he said, I don't wait till Sunday to take my tithe to the church. He said, whatever day I get paid, he said, I go straight to the church. And he said, because I don't want to be tempted. You know, he he puts himself under accountability. And some people would say that's legalism. Well, that's not legalism. That's just being smart. That's not giving any opportunity to the flesh. And he says, so I take my tithe right to the church. and, And he said, I give that first. And he said, then I go home and I find out what are my bills and I get my bills paid. And he said, I always have some money left over. And he said, so what I do with some of that leftover money, he said, I go down to the grocery store and I buy a loaf of bread, maybe two. I buy some sandwich meat, some cheese slices, get some bottles of water, some paper bags. And he said, I I make up sandwiches. And he said, no, I don't go by myself because, again, he said, I want to be accountable. And Jesus sent people out two by two, you know, so they could support and encourage one of them. But he said, I get a fellow buddy, somebody who went through recovery with me. And we go down to the bridge and we take these bags of sandwiches and we take these bottles of water and I go talk to the guys that I used to hang with down there. And he said, of course, there's always new ones. And he said, because the ones that know me... Um, he said, I'm able to have a, a, a rapport with them. And because I bring them food and water, they, they welcome me. And he said, and I tell them about Jesus. And he said, I've been able to get some of those guys into the same program that I went through. And some of those guys are in this church today. But see, that's the length of the love of God. See, some people would say, wow, those folks, you know, they're, they're beyond help. Listen, nobody's beyond God's help the length of the love of God is shown when we think beyond the four walls of our church and we think outside about prison ministry about street outreach and and we think about the money that we give that goes to missionaries around the world Um, God wants the church to be broad hospitable and accepting and relevant but God also wants the church to be long in its reach Because He's long in His reach toward us. What about the depth of the love of God? The depth of the love of God. When I hear deep, I think of substance. I think of content. Uh, Depth in the church will often be found in the teaching ministry. Sometimes it will be found in what we call the prophetic ministry or those that are very gifted in like prayer, um, you know, intercession, things of that nature. Um, I like 1 Corinthians 2.10 that says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Everybody say, the deep things of God. Now, some people think that that the broad and the deep are contradictory. But I don't think so. I think we should have something that is broad, a way of assimilating people in, but then also a way of taking them deeper. But sometimes you have to be very welcoming and hospitable you don't want to drown people by giving them too much too fast and taking them into deep things i remember one time when i was very young in ministry i was invited to speak at a nursing home and uh... the group of folks there now i'll tell you my my perspective of an old person is much different at age fifty five than it is when i was twenty (laughs) two Some people I used to think, no, they're not old. No, they're not old. But uh, when you're 22 and you go into nursing home, man, everybody looks super ancient. You know, everybody's at least 120 in there, you know, you think. And you, they're not, but you're just so young, you don't know anything. So that was me. I didn't know anything. But so I'm, I'm teaching this Bible lesson, and I teach on confession and the power of the spoken word. And creative power in our confession. And, and I use the word confession many, many times in this message because, you know, I'm a young, zealous Bible school graduate and I want to take, I just, back then, I just wanted to take everybody deep, 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 deep. Everything to me was deep. That was my heartbeat was deep. And so I get done with this lesson, and I'm just kind of mingling with some of the residents there that had attended the, the session. And um, this sweet lady, I'm guessing she was probably in her mid-80s or something like that, she said, Young man, she said, um, uh, uh, that was an interesting message you shared on confession. She said, um, can you tell me, how, how does confession help a person overcome sin? Now, when you're a Bible teacher, you love questions because it opens up the door for you to go deeper yet and so i was so thankful this lady had asked this question about how does confession help you overcome sin and so i said well man that's a beautiful question because when we confess the word of god uh... we're strengthening our spirit because we're in agreement with the word of god and our spirit man is 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 releasing the word and it causes our mind to be renewed to that Word. And then when, we, when our spirit and our soul are connected to the Word of God, then our flesh is, 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 has no choice but to submit. And it may rebel, but the Bible says, you know, uh, uh, you know, about resist those fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And I said, we're a trichotomy. We're a tripart being. We're spirit, soul, and body. And when our spirit and soul are in agreement with the Word of God, then our flesh is brought under subjection. I was so proud of myself because I'd given her this deep, deep revelation. And she looked at me and said, young man, she said, I don't think you have a clue what I'm asking. She said, I'm Catholic, and I want to know how does me going to confession help me overcome sin? And all of a sudden I realized I had no idea what that lady was asking about (laughs) I mean, we might as well have been on two different planets. Because I was so busy trying to be deep about spirit, soul, body, trichotomy, the power of the spoken word. And this dear lady is saying, I'm a Catholic. She's talking about going to the priest, going to confession. We were talking about two different things entirely. But see, I was so obsessed with being deep. There's a time and a place to be deep. But we can't be deep when when people are not ready for deep. We have to to start broad. We have to go long. Uh, but, But when we have the right rapport established with people and we've taken people through the ABCs, then we can get into the more advanced things. And thank God for churches that don't neglect the deep things of God. Because there are churches that do. There are churches that just say, well, we're just going to keep everything real superficial, and that way everybody will feel real welcome, and we won't really ever challenge people about sin, because that might make them feel uncomfortable, and we won't tell anybody they have to repent, because we just just want a big baby pool. (laughs) Well, it's good to have introductory things that connect with people on an introductory level, but we do need to have a deep end. We, and thank God, I know you guys have classes where people that want to grow deeper can grow deeper and you have opportunities for different things. And, and, um, and, and I know uh, Pastor Mark and Brenda believe in, in the things of the Spirit, the deep things of the Spirit. So we need, we need a multidimensional approach to ministry. Paul prayed that we would know, that we would comprehend what is the breadth What is the length? What is the depth? And then finally he concluded with this, and what is the height? Well, I believe that the height of the love of God implies meaningful worship. That we focus on the most high God. That we focus, you know, like like the old song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace. There's a height that the church must comprehend. And there is a height of God's love that we must uh, express. Jesus said in John 4, 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. You know the word exalt. Everybody know that word exalt? You ever hear Pastor Tom or somebody else say, let's exalt the Lord? We're talking about the height of God's love. Did you know that the word exalt that the A-L-T part is from a Latin word from which we get the word altitude. Exalt, A-L-T. Ex meaning out or from. When you exhale, there's something coming out of you, something coming from you. And exalt means there's something coming out of you and you're going to an, an altitude. Worship comes out of you and it takes you to a higher place in God. The, the people who worship, people who are real worshipers, um, and you know there's some people that are great worshipers that aren't good singers. But, but people who are worshipers are, are drawn heavenward. And, and not just worshipers, but did you know there are people in your life who are encouragers? And they're always encouraging you to look up what, what one lady author, Joyce Landorf, called balcony people in your life. She said in everybody's life there's some basement people and there's some balcony people. She said, you need to be careful because certain basement people are always wanting to drag you down. But she said, you need to try to help basement people get out of the basement. But, but for your own sake, you need to hang out with some balcony people. People who are always drawing you higher and lifting you. So when we put all this together, what do we come up with? God is a multi-dimensional God. He wants us to know the breadth Of God's love his love he wants us to know the length he wants us to know the depth he wants us to know the height but the beautiful thing about it is when we know those things when we comprehend those things then we ourselves can express those things not only has God made us feel welcomed and loved unconditionally but we then can begin to welcome others and make them feel unconditionally loved. Uh, When we know that God went to great lengths to reach us, then we can be okay getting outside of our comfort zone and reaching long to connect with other people when we understand that God wants to take us deep in Him, then we can help other people go deep in Him. Move beyond just the milk of the Word and get into the meat of the Word. And we can also, because God invites us to the high places, seated with Him in heavenly places, we can encourage other people to rise up, move up in God. And notice what Paul prayed. He didn't pray, you know, I pray that you would know the breadth of the love of God, or the length, or the depth, or the height. He said, I want you to know the, the breadth, and the length, and the depth, and the height. See, God doesn't want us just to be one-dimensional. He wants us to be multi-dimensional and if we were to take a survey of people in this room well, here's what we would find that some of us identify more with one of those dimensions than another I still like the depth in my personal time I love to read the theologians the historians the scholars I like to get into the deep you know things my wife doesn't so much like the deep things. She likes the high things. She, she loves to get along with God and just worship Him and praise Him and pray. So I, in, in our life, I tend to go deep. She tends to go high. There's other people that are extremely social people and they just love to go broad. They love to welcome visitors. They love to, you know, embrace new people. They just love fellowship, and they love hospitality. They're the broad people in the church. And then there's other people who are saying, what are we doing sitting around here? We need to go to the prisons. We need to go under the bridges. We need to go to the highways. They're the long people. And you know what? There's been a a challenge in some churches where the people that want to go long... Make everybody else feel bad if they're not focused that way primarily. And people that want to go deep think everybody else is shallow if you don't go as deep as we go. And if somebody just loves to get lost in worship and lost in prayer and lost in adoration of God and they're up there, I mean, they are in the 42nd heaven. <laughs> And they think everybody else is carnal who isn't as high as they are. Just realize that whatever you have, you may have a stronger emphasis in one of these areas. But you've got to be accepting of people who have a different appreciation and maybe a different emphasis than what you do. You know, I I think of that guy that goes to the people under the bridges and I think, you know, man, I that would be a stretch for me. Because I don't know that I would be able to relate. I don't know that I would be able to connect. But that guy, he knows their language. He knows, he knows their, their train of thought. He's able to go longer than I am. Maybe I can go deeper. Maybe I can give some Greek definitions. But man, he can go longer than me. And there's other people that in worship can go higher than me. And there's people who are so friendly and hospitable, they can go broader than me. But you know what multidimensional ministry is? It means all of us finding what God has put in our heart and doing it. And when we all function according to the gift and the grace that God has in us, you know what we'll have? We'll have a full, balanced, full uh, church where we have some broadness, some length, some depth, and some height. But we're mutually respectful of each other as we have all of that exhibited. And you know, in a church service, you can have all four dimensions going at once. I mean, when you have greeters and you welcome the visitors and you're friendly and you make them feel welcome, you're being broad. When you give an admissions offering or when you have outreach teams go out or even when there's an altar call given in the church, you're going long. Uh, when you have some meaty teaching and classes and things like that, you're going deep. And when we have worship and praise of God, we're going high, multidimensional. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the love of God that you've shed abroad in our heart. Thank you that your love for us is both broad and long and deep and high. And I pray that we will be able to comprehend that love. And, And Father, I pray that not only will we comprehend it, but that we'll express it that we will express the many dimensions of your love, the many facets of your love. And Father, we just want to thank you for all of your goodness, all of your mercy toward us. And Father, help us each to recognize the gifts and the graces that you've put on the inside of us and help us to, to be not only transformed by your glory, but help us to be transmitters of your glory. Let us receive and let us give. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of not only receiving but also expressing your love in the earth.